tonight with you. And welcome to our regular Undone people. It, it's really awesome to be with you tonight in your lounge rooms. In moments of uncertainty, you know, people tend to hold things tightly, don't they? Worry and fear drive behaviour, and we've certainly seen sad examples of that. And this is the moment that God calls His people to look to Him and trust. I believe now is the moment in time when those who call God their God and who call on Him will see Him act in miraculous ways. You know, our senior leadership have been thanking God this week for His provision that we have the capability to live stream to you. God has been preparing us for a time such as this. And right now, you have the opportunity to exercise your faith in an act of giving. If you call Door of Hope home, we ask that you continue to give electronically. If this is new for you, there are many ways to do this. Please go to our website page at www.door-of-hope.org forward slash giving. Or you can click the give button on the live stream that you're watching right now to find out more details. Alternatively, you can text to give with the number on the screen and just follow the prompts. But if you're joining us today and it's your first experience, please let this be a gift that we want to give you and we hope that you're encouraged tonight. If you call another church home, we ask that you continue to give to your home church. So tonight, we are continuing a series that we began last week called The Secrets We Keep which is about exploring things we often bottle up inside that can be damaging to us, either spiritually, emotionally, or physically. And when we planned this series several months ago, we decided to do something a little different. Steve mentioned we're going to have a panel of experts who are joining us from the mental health profession to have a conversation about anxiety. Clearly, we had no idea what we'd be facing at this moment in time. But God knew. And He's provided us with this amazing opportunity to speak to you tonight about worry and anxiety. And many of us are feeling that right now. So, this evening, I would love to introduce to you our panel, Paul Hayes, Katie Robinson, and Jacob Greatbatch. And I'm going to fill you in on a little um, information that helps you understand why they are so qualified to speak to us. Paul Hayes is currently working as our pastoral care team leader at Door of Hope as our recovery course coordinator for ex-offenders and addicts. He is a qualified psychologist with over 30 years of experience working in a range of different organisations including Centrelink, Disability Services, Community Corrections and Prisons. Welcome Paul. 
Katie Robinson is a qualified social worker, currently contracted by Child Safety Services, Youth Justice, and she also provides supervision and liaison for UTAS social work students in the field of education. In addition to that, she has 13 plus years of experience working with at-risk young people and families in crisis. Welcome, Katie. And Jacob Greatbatch. Um, he is currently completing a ministry traineeship at the Branch Christian Church and is a qualified social worker who has worked for seven years in the mental health sector after graduating in 2012. And he has four years' experience facilitating youth mental health first aid. Welcome. Thanks, Dorothy. So, as we've mentioned, panel, um, given that many of us are experiencing higher levels of anxiety due to the current pandemic, can you um, talk us through what is the difference between everyday worry and clinical anxiety? For me, uh, Dorothy, anxiety is basically the body's response to a threat, um, and that can be a perceived threat as well. And when that happens, the brain sends certain chemicals um, to the body, uh, resulting in sort of a fight, flight, or freeze response. And those chemicals are things like adrenaline and cortisol. And um, it's a normal adaptive response because it can help us cope in times of trouble. You know, a, a dog might bark and it will trigger that same response and it's an adaptive thing. Um, even you know, this evening, there's an adaptive sort of stress response in me. In, uh, have I prepared well enough for tonight? That sort of thing. It's the body gearing up for that sort of a, a situation. And that's a really adaptive thing. Um, and there's three aspects to it. There's a, a cognitive aspect, which is our, our, our thoughts. There's a, an, an emotional aspect to it, you know, our feelings about what's happening and a physiological response. You know, things like sweating and palpitations and the like um, and those things happen um, but it's when they get out of balance that sort of you know, anxiety develops into something which is not productive um, worry relates primarily to that cognitive that aspect of anxiety our thought life and the like um, we've got a panel of three here I don't know how far you want me to go and I'm happy <laughs> for others to Chip in. Add things if you, you like to. I think for me, worry is generally more like, well, not generally, it's specific to uh, an incident or uh, a topic. Worry can be more specific, whereas anxiety can be more generalised. And so it's harder to, um, to pinpoint what you're anxious about. Um, worry tends to be more short-lived. Uh, it doesn't necessarily impact upon your day-to-day -day functioning. You can kind of refocus on tasks, whereas with anxiety, people who are experiencing that clinical anxiety, it is a whole body response. And being that it's generalised, um, and it's often a bit more vague, that it can be a lot harder to refocus on what's happening in day-to-day -day life, and therefore has more of an impact on that professional and personal daily um, goings and, and comings. Okay. 
Uh, when thinking about the difference between uh, what's, a, what's a normal sort of level of worry and anxiety, and, and we all do worry about certain things, and, it's, it's, and that's right. It's right to worry about your kid running across the road and normal to worry about getting up and speaking in front of people. Uh, but when trying to decide the difference between that kind of normal, for want of a better word, I don't like using that word, type of worry and, and something more clinical, uh, you might look at uh, three things. Change. So change from a person's, say, baseline level of worry. So we all kind of tend to fall on a spectrum in terms of how easygoing we are or how, uh, how much we tend to worry about certain things. Um, but if you experience a significant change from that, like your level of anxiety goes up significantly, uh, duration, uh, if that level of anxiety goes up significantly for an extended period of time, say two weeks, uh, and severity, so if that level of anxiety stays up and actually gets in the way of you kind of living the life that you want to live, you start avoiding people or places, uh, then you might be looking at something a bit more serious. What I'm hearing from you, panel, is that um, the actual experience, we would all have an experience of anxiety or worry triggered by an event, but it's when it is maybe extending over a longer period of time or more generalised that we're actually looking at it becoming more of a problem and how it's impacting our everyday life. Yeah. Is that a reasonable summary? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's that adaptiveness of that behaviour, um, whether it's causing significant distress for you yep. is one of the, the yardsticks, really. Yeah. And so, um, how will I... What would be a really good marker for me to know that I'm moving from what would be a normal experience of worry or anxiety into a more clinical stage? I think one of the comments that Katie made is a pertinent one, that, that worry, whether it's persistent, whereas normal everyday worry might be really temporal and you know, be over quite quickly, but is that a, a continuing thing for you? And just looking at some of those other aspects, you know, looking at the, the cognitive, am I, you know, catastrophizing? Am I thinking on things and thinking of the worst? Uh, you know, is my thought life taking that out of control? Um, am I negative all the time, sort of negativity, you know, bodily reactions? Um, do I have panic attacks that, you know, are unexplained? You know, I have palpitations, those sorts of things. And emotional, you know, am I... Um, impacted by persistent feelings of fear or sadness or worthlessness or hopelessness, those sorts of things, you know, starting to, to notice those things. And yeah. I, I think for me, the, the key thing, um, you know, and when someone might want to seek help, is when it really does disrupt and interrupt your, mm. your life. Um, you know, with anxiety, I think um, that, that clinical sense of anxiety, and I, I think um, Jacob and people that you would have seen in the forensic mental health sphere and, and Paul, that it's when it is so disruptive, it is so depressive, it is so overwhelming that just normal everyday thinking and functioning and going to work and even to the point of getting out of bed becomes a struggle. Okay. That's when it's past, definitely past that stage. And when you notice that normal daily functioning starting to diminish, that's probably when you start to to be aware of it and to talk about it. Mm. Mm. Uh, one of the key indicators of that kind of normal daily functioning starting to diminish 
uh, is you might see a, a repeated pattern of avoidance. So anxiety and avoidance go hand in hand. You tend to avoid the thing that makes you worried. Uh, and that's true for all of us. But if, if that's really getting in the way of you uh, living the sort of life that you want to live, you consistently avoid social situations because you're just terrified of what other people think. Uh, you consistently avoid public mm. places because you're really scared of public places. We might get to that later. Um, uh, so that's one behavioural thing that might be an indicator that, hey, maybe there's something a bit more serious going on for me, that I'm consistently avoiding people, places, situations. Is there something I can do, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm mindful as we're talking, that in this current climate where we're constantly being given worrying, anxiety-provoking messages, how can I catch myself if I'm starting to get into a phase where I can begin to see I'm becoming very fearful um, of everyday contact and, and going outside, how can I kind of catch myself and stop myself from going too far down that track? Any advice for our people? Well, I think just sort of a general word of advice, not all that specific, is the Bible really encourages us to keep short accounts, not let things fester, not let, you know, not sleep on your anger is, you know, one of the, the big lines in the Bible. But, you know, I think in other things too, it's not just anger related, I think in other ways. Keep short accounts, be in accountability relationships with people. You know, our best friends can speak into our lives to mm. say, look, you know, there's something different in you today mm. or, or this last week. You know, can, I, can we talk through that and can I help you? That, that sort of a, a thing. Yeah. I think in life, thinking and emotions and can often be uncontrollable. Mm. You know, our thinking can go into that spinning thinking. It's like a, a radio that just plays in the background. And so we can tune into that mm -hmm. and get really kind of um, fused to that or we can really kind of push and struggle with that. Um, it's like a storm and boats in the harbour, if there's a storm happening, they drop anchor. And the anchor itself doesn't stop the storm. The anchor can't control the weather, like our thinking and our, our emotional and our thinking storms that happen in our life, that worry. Mm. But what an anchor does, it can hold that vessel in place and steady. And so with us, for me, a lot of the practice that, that I do with, with clients and um, with others is to be able to tune into their body, tune into the physical stuff, the stuff that we do control, mm. and to drop anchor and to recognise what we are in control of and how to um, move into what's important and what is manageable in our life um, and allowing that storm to be there and acknowledging and recognising it, but not allowing it to whip us up into that tornado. Lovely, I love that um, image of the anchor. That's that's really great image. Jacob, do you want to add in? Yeah, just segueing on from uh, what Katie said, that uh, it can be helpful to kind of take stock of the things that you can control and the things that you can't control. Um, so there's so many things that, that whip us up at times and they're things that we, we simply can't control. Uh, we can't control in the current climate how many people in Tasmania are going to get infected with COVID-19. There's many things to do with this situation that we can't control but there are certain things about our own behaviour and thinking yep. uh, that we can control and um, it's worth kind of taking stock of that um, mm. and even putting them in lists. Can control, can't control. Yeah, great.
So making, I love that, making a list. These are the things I can control. These are the things that are beyond my control. Yeah, very good. Um, now, often when we talk about anxiety, for people who have got a faith, there's a real dilemma. Um, and many well-meaning people will say, you know, you just need to have more faith. Can you talk us through, does have anxiety, does having anxiety reflect the depth or strength of a person's faith? That was an easy answer to that, no. But I've seen lots of shaking You probably want heads. some more detail behind the answer than that. I think we would, wouldn't we, people? Paul might be the one to outline what's happening in the brain side of things. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll hand to you, Paul, first for, for the brain side of things. Yeah, well, I, I suppose um, the question in terms of faith, to me, looking at what faith is first, maybe, yeah. for me, it's being you know, sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I think, um, you know, coming back to, you know, our relationship with Jesus, um, you know, he, he's the one who holds us firm in that, that storm. It's his anchor as, as our hope, mm -hmm. basically. And that keeps us, you know, it talks about an, an anchor for our soul. You know, those emotions, helps us keep those emotions under control. Um, and I think the example that I often think about is, you know, if, if somebody um, is ill in another way, you know, a, a really obvious physical Yep. illness or condition we're not you know and, and god doesn't heal them immediately we're not going to say oh you know woe woe is you your yeah. faith is so low yeah so like if you have heart problems or cancer yeah. or something like that we're not going to say that's that's a person with low faith no so well, it's the same sort of thing yeah, yep. exactly to me it is yeah. yeah yeah and i think with with an illness like cancer or with um a heart disease or things like that we we recognize that it is out of the person's control and I think anxiety too, particularly for some people, dropping anchor or you know, different strategies that we might talk about as professionals are skills to learn. Yep. And so if you don't yet have that skill, then you can feel like it is out of control mm. and it's very overwhelming. And so for me, people who live with that sense of anxiety, I actually think that it um, indicates a strength of faith because in amongst that uncontrollable nature and that overwhelming nature, they're holding strong to cling to God, to yep. seek God, to, to ask, you know, what's going on? How can, how can I get through this, God? It shows that they are walking with God and when they can't manage themselves, it's the trust that God is going to walk beside them and carry them through until they do learn those strategies to be able to, to get through that. And knowing that God is always there, it's it's a test, or it's a it's a sign of strength in their faith, not a sign yeah. that they don't have that faith. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that um, it is possible that a person actually has uh, in their brain is working in a particular way that they have no control over, um, but they have to learn how to manage that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, their brain and, and, and sometimes their circumstances working yep. in a way that they have no, no control over. And um, certainly lots of uh, examples in the Bible of people who had such strong faith, um, yet were experiencing all sorts of uh, 
circumstances and issues uh, that they had no control over. Yet in the midst of those things, uh, they are clinging on to Jesus, clinging on to God as their, as their refuge and their source of strength, which shows a, a strength of faith in the midst of anxiety, trouble. Yeah, I think getting back to that God in control again, mm. um, there's many times in the Bible where you know, individuals have seen victory at, you know, and quite quick victory, but others where determination has really been yeah. required and long-term determination. And that Bible analogy of the marathon race really fits you know, for me there and God being in control of it all. Well, I, I was noticing as a, I was preparing tonight, there's this statistic, some of you might have heard it. The Bible mentions do not fear 365 times, one for every day of the year, except for leap year. <laughs> Clearly, God understands our predisposition to anxiety. So, which passages or stories in particular would you like to point us to that you think might be most helpful? For me, I've been reading the Psalms um, through this year. And it feels like I'm reading journal entries. And there's 150 psalms, so 150 journal entries. And most of them, I think over 70 of them, are written by King David. And it's almost watching him go through these ups and downs and, you know, these depths of despair through to kind of this deliverance and celebration. And what I hold cling to is that, that watching David, how in amongst it all, he held strong to the trust that God would deliver him in amongst sometimes great fear, um, fear for his life. He yeah. and, and I can just put myself in that place and kind of go, how would I be thinking and feeling and where would my anxiety level be if um, I was in some of the situations that King David was, yet he held on to, to God. And mm. it's an example of what we can do as well when we're feeling overwhelmed and anxious. Yeah, great. Yeah, aim into that. Yeah, uh, just on Psalms, there's there's 150 of them, and I think over 50, something like 52 or 55, they fall into the category of lament, which basically means life's really hard and the whole world sucks, and so I'm going to write a song <laughs> about it. Um, yeah, and and don't forget, David was a warrior. Like he was a guy who went out and fought bears and wolves and uh, giants, all sorts of things. Yet there were times in his life when he was really struggling. Uh, and he went through those highs and lows, but but clung on to God mm. uh, and experienced deliverance at times. And at other times, he, he really had to write it out. Um, one of my favourite verses, we, we often wonder, does God understand me? Does he empathise with me? Does he really care about my situation? Uh, Hebrews 4, I think 16 and 17, around then, uh, talks about Jesus, our, our great high priest, who can empathise with all our weaknesses, any type of... Uh, anxiety or struggle that we experience, Jesus can empathise with that. He can uh, understand that. He's been through it in some form or another himself. And so he understands our fallen, broken human condition uh, and we can come before God's throne of grace and receive mercy and, and grace in our time of need knowing that he really does understand us. Yeah, great. For me, there's a few passages but Matthew 6 25 to 34 it's sort of a passage I think it said do not worry in my Bible not that that was in the original but you know it talks about seeking God first mm. and having a today focus not again catastrophizing about the future nor you know being you know extremely regretful about the past but having a, a today focus um, 
and a verse in 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7. And it really talks about our humility before God and he loves and cares for us. And he's the one who lifts us up. And, but in there it says lift, lifts us up in due time. It doesn't say he lifts us up immediately. Mm. You know, it's in God's control and God's timing that he will lift us up. Yeah. And the uh, other one too, can I just have one yeah. more? Proverbs 12.25. And it, this is where it talks about friends. A really kind friend can bring relief to you. And I think you know, counsel, uh, wisdom in the counsel of many. Yeah. I um, picked out a verse from Psalm 145, verse 18. I just think it's um, really great because it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And, you know, in the midst of anxiety, I think to know if you call on God, it says he's near, that, that he comes near to us. So for me, it's really encouraging that I see in the Bible that God understands our anxiety and our fears and he's really seeking for us to call on him in that time so that he can come close to us. So I think, you know, it's wonderful that the Bible shows us that God is a caring God and he actually does know and understand us. Um, I'm really interested and I want to pull out the fact that what I've heard a couple of times is that if, you, if you've got levels of anxiety or worry, that isn't um, saying that you are weak in any way. Actually, you have to have a strength of character and David is a great example. Who He is a warrior but felt anxiety. So one thing I'm noticing is that not to be uh, ashamed. Um, is shame about anxiety uh, a thing that stops people getting help, in your opinion? I think it certainly has been and probably still is, but I think that stigma is reducing. Yep. You know, with a lot of education about anxiety being the most common mental health condition there is. So I think things are changing, but certainly, uh, you know, shame is a thing that holds people down. Yeah. I think that um, in society, we, we really love the idea of being happy and being excited and being loving. Yep. And those natural emotions are the ones which we, I guess, strive for and that we promote in society. But natural emotion covers a whole range of things from sadness yeah, and right. fear and guilt and shame. And I, when we, even young children, we say, oh, don't cry, don't cry, or yeah. we punish them or send them away for their frustration and their tantrums. And right from a young age, we're training, I guess, people in society that certain emotions are welcome yep. and other emotions we want to shut away. And I think yep. anxiety and a lot of mental health disorders fall into that category of what we want to shut away as society because it's not a pretty picture. Yep. And um, it's not the emotion it's not the thinking or the feeling that's the issue sometimes if the behavior comes out in hurting yourself or hurting someone else mm -hmm. that's what we're scared of we're yep. not scared of the emotion and so is in for society and for people in community to actually welcome and acknowledge and be open with emotions so that we can 
work out how to express them in a healthy way mm -hmm. and move through them. Mm. Yeah, amen to that. And, and certainly I think uh, what Paul said, we, we probably are getting better at this as a society, that the stigma is reducing. Uh, but particularly in uh, Christian communities, church communities, it's so important to be open and honest and vulnerable, mm -hmm. I think, with each other. We, uh, uh, maybe even particularly in Christian communities, we are so good at putting on this veneer of everything's okay and I'm sweet, uh, and that can be really damaging. And how refreshing it is sometimes to see people be real and honest and open, particularly people in leadership positions. Uh, it just, like, it opens the door and makes it okay for other people to come forward and be honest as well and so yeah certainly commend you uh, at Door of Hope for having this series The Secrets We Keep it um, might, might go a long way to opening that door yeah absolutely and uh, you know I think it's certainly current in talking particularly around um, education circles that we really need to be getting that message out that emotion in itself is not right or wrong there's not good or bad we need to, as humans, process all of our emotions. It's how we act on that. Mm -hmm. um, and somebody very smart, and I can't remember who it was, said that emotions are information, not directions. And that's so powerful when you think about it. It's okay. The emotion that you're receiving is your body's way of giving you information. And sometimes, as Paul said, that's really helpful because you might need to get out of a situation. You might need the adrenaline to act. Um, but it's how you act upon that, and we make a decision on how we act on that. Um, so that's really helpful, guys. Um, so speaking of actions, um, can you give us some ideas, some, some tips on if your anxiety levels are peaking and um, you are recognising or resonating with some of the things, um, catastrophizing was one that I heard, and um, long-term fearful worries that it's impinging on your desire to get out of bed or go and interact with other people. What can I do about that? I suppose one of the things that we really haven't touched on much today is um, chemical imbalances in the brain. You know, I would say you know, seeing a GP you know, fairly quickly is one of the things that I would recommend because there's a lot of uh, medical conditions with anxiety, anxiety as a secondary symptom. So yeah. I think certainly seeing, seeing a GP is one thing that I would, would uh, recommend as a, a first port of call when those things are sort of escalating. Mm -hmm. Speaking up, definitely, you know, talk about it become a hidden issue in many people's lives and it's really important that we start speaking up to safe people, um, to people that we know can be trusted and are safe and that will support us and guide us to the right, the right support at the level that we need. So whether it be professionals or whether it be the GP, um, counsellors, social workers, um, or it might simply be a leader, a youth leader and, um, or a trusted friend or family member that you can just share and often sharing and getting it out there in the open is one of the huge, big first steps. 
Yeah, it's important to have uh, something of a, a long-term management strategy. That sounds really formal, but basically just to know what works for you in keeping things under control, basic things at a physical level like looking after yourself, uh, getting enough sleep, practicing sleep hygiene, that sort of thing uh, where possible, eating the right sort of foods, getting a bit of exercise, all of that. Uh, can go a long way. Uh, psychologically, it's, it's good to be have a level of self-awareness and be aware when you're um, doing things like catastrophizing or your worries are snowballing and have strategies for uh, being able to deal with that, whether that's mindfulness strategies or others that you might learn in the context of seeing a social worker or psychologist or that sort of thing. Uh, and, and of course, spiritually, I think we're moving into this as well. Uh, prayer, giving things to God, knowing that He cares, um, laying it at his feet, that sort of thing, uh, absolutely can go a long way to helping us. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because physical exercise is the last thing you feel like doing when you're anxious or fearful, but it will absolutely help, won't it? Because it really is working in the brain. Um, so that that's a really good point. Um, I'm thinking from flipping over now to the friend side, one of the things we've said is, is talk to a friend. What if I'm the friend? <laughs> what should I do if um, I have a friend who I think is anxious or who's talking to me as the first port of call um, to tell me that they're anxious? What should I be doing? Listen. And, and ask those inquisitive questions. Be curious into it. Um, people don't know necessarily how to talk or what to say. So sometimes it's up to you as the friend to be inquisitive and let them know that they have a platform and they have a space that is safe um, that you want to open up to. You don't have to know the answers. In fact, it's better that you don't. It's better that you don't have the advice um, because you're a friend, even as a social worker, when a friend comes to me, I don't want to social work them. That's not my role in that relationship. My role is a friend. So being able to be inquisitive and open and allow them to express and to share what they're feeling, their raw, honest truth, and um, allow them just that space is, is definitely, for me, the most important thing as a friend. Sounds a bit cliched, but unconditional love and support, <laughs> really. Just being there for them, being patient. Uh, listening uh, with an open ear and open mind. Um, it's just so important, the relationship side of things and you know, uh, developing relationship to me, that analogy of a bank, you know, the more that you deposit into that relationship, the more that you can draw out of it as well. So, you know, and friends can have new insights as well, not that they need to solve things, but sometimes you know, even just talking it through can come up with something that maybe you've never thought of before. You certainly want to uh, legitimise and empathise with, with how someone's feeling. So the last thing you want to do, uh, particularly with anxiety, because your friend might come to you with all sorts of worries about things that you wouldn't think that they really need to be worrying about. But the last thing you want to do is say, don't worry about that or that's not worth worrying about because that kind of minimises the way that they're feeling uh, and doesn't legitimise it. So certainly uh, aim into what these guys have said in terms of listening and providing that safe space. Um, and one that I would add, you might, you might be able to pray with them as well. Um, that's, I've always found that really helpful. Yeah. Okay, so I don't tell them not to worry. That's one no-no. Mm -hmm. And I should encourage them to share more. So don't worry if they're actually 
even if I don't think it's legitimate, mm. I should be encouraging them to open up. Are there any good sort of questions, like open-ended questions that would be helpful? Tell me more. Uh-huh, yeah. tell me more, excellent. What is that like for you? Thank yeah. you. How long have you been feeling like this? Great advice. See, that, yeah. that's really helpful because as a friend, I don't necessarily know that they're the things that I should say. I kind of feel like maybe you're like me, you want to make them feel better. Mm. So it's part of us knowing actually it's okay if somebody's anxious. We don't have to fix that. Yeah. And, and don't be scared of the silence. And don't be scared of the tears. Mm. Um, in fact, you know, if you see tears, it sounds like, it looks like that's really upsetting for you. What is it that's, that's making you cry at the moment? What is it that's going on for you at the moment? Yep. Mm. Great. So stay curious. Yep. And lean in. Mm. And don't try and fix. Are there some big, like I, I know that a no-no is to say don't worry. What are the other no-nos? that we need to, and be specific. <laughs> you, you sort of want to avoid getting into a, into a debate, for want of a better word, in terms of whether or not something is worth worrying about. Uh, so instead of focusing on the content of someone's worries, I'm worried about X, Y, Z, uh, perhaps focusing on the feelings, the fact that the person is worried and that's real and that's legitimate and that's their reality. Uh, so you're not getting into a, bait of a debate about the content of their worries, you're just focusing on the, on the, uh, the feeling that they're having and, um, yeah, legitimising that. I think jumping straight to um, solutions as well. You know, if, if, for example, you've suffered with anxiety at some point, oh, I did this you know, immediately jumping to the I did this type scenario instead of listening to the person first because doing that just invalidates their experience. You're just jumping in with your experience over the top of theirs. You know, that listening to, it, to them is so important. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So stay with them, stay tuned with them. And again, don't go to lack of faith's got you where you, you are or, you know, okay. must, must be some sin that you, you know, in your <laughs> life. That's that sort of thing. Probably yeah. not helpful. No. <laughs> not going to build a, a strong bond, is it? No. No. I think remembering that it's their truth. It's their reality. It might not be our truth or our reality, but that's what they're facing day to day. And so, yeah, not minimising that, but actually acknowledging that that's their truth at the moment. As hard as it is and as far-fetched as it might be to you, that's their truth. So their, their life is is perceived through that lens at the moment. Yeah, okay. If I'm concerned as a friend that um, somebody is um, really needing some help, it's, so I, I've done the great listening and, um, and I've empathised and, and really been that sounding board, but uh, I'm just not seeing that person improve or move on what can I be doing as a friend? I suppose in friend, friends encourage, don't they? So I think encourage them in other ways, whether it's to seek help through somebody else, mm -hmm. that um, you, know, you, you love them dearly and you want what's best for them. Um, and perhaps I don't have the skills to help you any further, but mm. you know, this is a recommendation that I can make for you. Would you like me to speak somebody else on your behalf to, you know, yep. organise a, a, you know, a time together, that sort of thing. Yep, definitely. Yeah, 
exactly that offer to take them somewhere if they need to but but recognizing you know i want to be here for you i want to listen to you i feel that i i can't offer any more but you might need some more so you know yeah let's look at other support that you can get and other ways that can can take you forward mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm into that <laughs> Okay, so clearly, if you have concerns, it's a really good idea to gently suggest that perhaps somebody else with greater expertise is required, and then you have to allow that person to make their own choice, I would imagine. Yeah? Yeah. Great. Um, Do you have, like, a personal story or an experience that you could share with us to help speak into the topic tonight? I do. Um, my husband Ben, he's um, given me permission to share this and to, to name it up. Um, and I think that it's a good example because a lot of people will know Ben and um, will, will know what he does. Um, he's a police officer um, and about six months ago, Ben went to bed one night and he didn't sleep at all for the first time, I think, in his life. And he tossed and he turned and he woke up in the morning there wasn't a particular incident. There wasn't anything specific going on. We'd been to India and we'd returned, but he'd been at work two or three days since then. But it, this night, he just could not sleep. And he woke up and he said, I can't go to work. I just can't do it. He was worried and anxious about work. Um, so he did ring his GP um, and he saw the GP that day. Um, he shared that over the past two years he's been promoted and it's a stressful position. Um, there are sometimes low numbers on his shift that he, um, he doesn't always have the support because it's, it's quite a, um, a big uh, job that he needs to do. I think that it's through no fault of any of his supervisors or the organisation itself. It was just situational where he's at and where they're at that there was a lot of pressure over over two years of pressure that had just kind of come to a head in Ben's life and was overwhelming him um, and encompassing more than just the task at hand or an incident. So the GP authorised the remainder of the week off for him and Ben made an appointment with his wellbeing officer and he talked through strategies with him which was critical to identify and resolve Ben's anxiety. Um, He shared with his family Uh, and with his accountability partner and together we were able to encourage Ben to implement the various strategies to reframe his mindset and gain new perspective um, on what was in his control and how to respond to that which was out of his control. And that's really, you know, a big aspect of it was he was really focusing on the things which were out of his control. Um, And the key thing is, like, I, living with Ben, didn't necessarily see it creeping up. I knew that work was stressful. I knew that he was under a lot of pressure. I knew that the numbers on some of the days were not ideal for him, but um, I didn't know exactly what he was dealing with internally um, until it came to a head. And so it's a really big example that Ben and I want to share because it's really important that even if you're feeling stressed, even if you're feeling things are are hard to start talking early because sometimes we carry ourselves so well that even your wife doesn't necessarily see all the signs and she's a social worker. Yeah, yeah. 
And I, I think that example is so great right now that there's an episode and so you might have an episode where you are clinically being anxious but that doesn't mean that you stay that way. And I'm imagining that, you know, for our small business owners mm -hmm. at the moment, this is a time where, you know, people are under huge stress. You know, it, it is good to get in early with some um, help that can really give you strategies on how to cope with these higher levels of anxiety. Yeah, thank you so much, Katie. And Ben's work hasn't changed. Yeah. The, he, there's no extra numbers since this incident six months ago. There's no change in you know, where things are at, but mm. he is completely different. And that is that a different mindset, mindset and the fact that he is open and talking about it yep. and he's got those strategies in place to keep him going. And I think we don't know how long the current situation with the COVID-19 is going to last. Yep. Um, and it may not, it's always changing um, mm. and it's out of our control. Yep. Um, but if we talk early and we seek support early when things are becoming overwhelming for us, that's what's important. And yeah. what happens with that out of our control will keep happening. Yeah, great, thank you. Jacob. Uh, probably not one particular story, uh, but from my time in social work, dozens, hundreds uh, even of cases uh, of people that I saw from all walks of life uh, who experienced this thing, anxiety. And, and probably the number one lesson I learned was that uh, anxiety is best dealt with by confronting it rather than avoiding it. Um, so bringing it out into the open, uh, confronting those things that you're really afraid of, uh, roping in the help of others to help you with that. Uh, anxiety is best dealt with by confronting it rather than avoiding it. Yeah, great. I haven't got any major stories. I've got one when I was a national manager for the role that I was in with, with Centrelink where, mm. um, you know, the, the stress, again, work stress, um, managing a really large budget and, you know, 360 people across the country. And I found myself waking up, you know, at three in the morning thinking, you know, what, what about this decision I've got to make and what about this that's going to impact X number of people? Mm. And what it did for me is enabled me to think, did I want that sort of role for the future? <laughs> and I ended up stepping out of that role. So it was taking control of the things that I could yeah. that helped me address that issue. But other things like, you know, going to the dentist, for example. Yeah. You know, that's an anxiety-provoking situation. For lots of people, Just, yeah. you know, not just, but I, I, what I do is just put that before the Lord and ask for his peace yeah. in that situation. And, you know, it's only a very small thing, but yeah. God listens to the small things. Yep, and definitely not one to avoid. <laughs> so what I'm hearing really strongly from the panel is speaking up is critical and probably your first step. Switching from worry to truth is something that's kind of come through, like challenging and thinking about what am I thinking about what is true for me. Yeah, and, and the Bible, yeah exhorts us to take every thought captive yeah you know and run it by you know the word of god yeah you know yeah. our mind plays tricks on us and and mm. lies to us and you know take it captive and i'm also hearing we've got to make peace with the fact that um sometimes we do hit the panic button and panic has never killed anybody mm. so if you are in a panic state 
to recognise that and know you're still okay. Mm. It's just your body's reaction. And presence, I heard that about mindset and being, you know, taking it back to where you are today. And I love that. What am I in control of? What am I, what is outside of my control? And, you know, that's the advice from our experts here. And I'm hearing things that you can read in the Bible. And it really excites me when we look at what is good practice and yet it stacks up with what God's word says. So, you know, I really invite you to explore God's word. You can Google in a Bible Gateway or version and just Bible um, Google Anxious and see what comes up because it's great advice, isn't it? And it really stacks up with clinical advice. So I'm going to close out the panel tonight and I want to bring you a blessing from the Bible just to close us out tonight from Numbers 6 and it's verses 24 to 27. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.